All right. Good morning, everyone. So typically uh, on two different, two different occasions, uh, typically Dave would be up here uh, doing the sermon, one for Promotion Sunday. So happy Promotion Sunday to everybody who is promoted. Uh, and two, we are also starting a new series. So normally Dave would also start off the new series. Uh, so today I actually get the pleasure of doing Promotion Sunday and starting us off on a new series. Um, so hopefully, for both of those, uh, I do a decent job and you all show back up next week. So uh, we will see. So for the series that we're doing today uh, and starting over the next nine weeks, I believe it's going to take about nine weeks, um, is Lies Christians Believe. And the series that we're doing, we are doing, it is based on a book. And the title of the book is called Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and why God's truth is infinitely better. Uh, it's not working. There we go. Okay, so the first thing is like, ooh, that's, I won't mess with that. I don't want any accidents. At least my guys are sitting in the front row, so if anything falls off, I don't think you'll hate me. Okay, you got me. All right. Okay, anyways, so if we're looking at this picture here, does anybody know what this is? A, a, it's a, what was it? It, it? It's a jackalope. Okay, what is a jackalope? Is a jackalope really anything, or is it just a mythical creature? It's what? It's the, it's the Lunchables mascot. I mean, I think that's pretty true. Um, <laughs> So when you're looking at it, okay, it's a bunny, and it's got deer horns or antlers. Deer antlers, not horns. They have antlers. I should know this. Uh, so we're looking at it. We're like, okay, what's, what's the point of this being our background and being the logo? And that's basically the logo of the book, too. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at a mythical creature. And in the book, he starts off talking about, okay, we have all these myths that we believe, uh, especially within the Christian realm. And so he's going to use the jackalope as an example of things that we believe and actually how they can become harmful. So really the way the jackalope came, came about was a taxidermist, somebody who, you know, plays with dead animals and makes little stuffed creatures out of them, uh, decided to take a rabbit and put some antlers on it and basically say, hey, I saw this out in the wild one time. Uh, and so back when there were cowboys in the Old West and everything, they would tell all these tall tales about jackalopes and that at, at night when they were sitting around the campfire singing, they could hear the jackalope singing with them. And then other times they were saying, oh, yeah, when we would go out hunting, all of a sudden in the tall grass, this jackalope would come up and it would just attack us with its antlers and everything. Uh, not too harmful, but at times it was kind of a, a harmful tall tale because people were afraid to go out because the jackalope might, go, might come and get them. Down here in Texas, it's probably like the chupacabra. Oh, the chupacabra is going to come out and get you, or uh, when you were at sea, it was the kraken was going to get you, or the Loch Ness monster, you know, whatever it is. And so the idea here is that we are going to be looking at these lies, these common lies that are told within Christianity uh, that we think, okay, these are harmless, or we wouldn't even think about them as being lies, uh, but they are actually harmful to us. Go to that next slide, please. Uh, so 
this is what the, what the author of the book that we're going to be going over has to say about jackalopes and why he's using them here. So he says, jackalopes are like many of the lies Christians believe. The cliches we hear may seem harmless, innocent, or even cute in the moment. However, we need to realize what they are, lies. And if they are believed for too long, they may become a very dangerous virus to our faith. So what are some of the lies that we're actually going to be caught that we will be talking about over the next few weeks. If you go to the next slide, please. Uh, so these are some of the lies that we're going to be actually going over over the next nine weeks. Uh, this is a really common lie. God just wants you to be happy. Uh, I mean, I hear that all the time. Or follow your heart. Uh, God doesn't really care about you. Or I don't think God likes me. These are kind of lies that either we tell ourselves, we hear from people in the church, we hear from people outside the church, but these are some of the lies that we will talk about over the coming weeks. Uh, but this week, we are going to be talking about uh, the lie that God won't give you more than you can handle. Uh, and this is actually a very common lie. Oftentimes, we hear it when, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a really hard test coming up this week. Oh, that's okay. God won't give you more than you can handle. You can do it. Just don't study. You got this. Okay. Or we'll hear it in a, in a lot more serious manner. Something tragic happens in a family, and then somebody tells you, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here like, you know, like, if something tragic happens in my life, do not come around telling me God's gonna, God won't give you more than you can handle. Because when something tragic happens, it's like, it's bad. It's like, I know I can't handle it on my own or anything. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this lie, and then we're going to look at truth. If you don't mind going to the next slide here. So how do we know what truth is? Well, the Bible tells us what truth is. When we look at John 17, 16 through 19, this is Jesus talking, and he's talking about believers here, followers of him. He says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So God acknowledge, Jesus acknowledges that truth is God's word. And so what is God's word? Well, it's the Bible. So where do we go to find truth? I mean, especially within the church. We always have to test what everybody says within the church. Uh, Paul commends these people that are called Bereans because they're from Berea, and they actually tested everything he said. So instead of just believing what Paul is saying from the pulpit, they opened their Bibles and said, hey, what, is, this, is this true? Is this really what God's Word says? And so that's what we're going to do here. We're going to look in God's Word. We're going to see, okay, does God's Word say that God won't give you more than you can handle? Um, if you go to the next slide, I'm going to tell you straight up. This saying is not in the Bible whatsoever. Now, there is one place that people may mistake this saying for. If you go to the next slide here, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13, this can be taken out of context and it can be said, you know, it says right here that God won't give you more than you can handle. So let's look at, let's read it. It says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Uh, so when we read this, the very first thing that stands out is, 
we all want to go to and we all want to read, it says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And we kind of ignore everything else. So it's like, hey, you know, see, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. But what does it say? You all have probably been in some English classes or something. You have to take a text and you have to look at it and you have to deduce what it's saying and you have to look at all that. I mean, if you go to college, you're going to do that even more. In high school, you're going to do that even more. So what does it say? Well, let's see what it's actually saying. First thing we notice here, when we go up to the first line, it says, anyone who thinks he, that he stands, take heed, lest he fall. So it says, hey, be aware. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be proud. But watch what you think. The next thing it says, the next big point, is that God is faithful. So he points out God. And then the next point that should be made, it's on the fourth line at the end. It says, he will, referring back to God. It's that God is the one who is going to provide the way escape, that you will be able to endure it. So it's not just saying, okay, you know what? You can pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you can endure this temptation. It's not saying, suck up, cupcake, you got this. No, it's saying, look, you don't have this. You have to depend on God to help you through this situation. So it's not saying, you got this, you can do it, you're great, you're awesome. No, it's saying, actually, is that God's got this, God's great, God's awesome, and he's going to help you through this situation here. And so that's the only area within Scripture. So if you want to, later on, if you want to go and check and see, okay, is God won't give you more than you can handle in the Bible, you can actually Google that and write this and say, verse, after the end of it, and it'll try to pull it up as a Bible verse. And then this, this passage here will be pulled up, and it will be like, well, you could possibly see that in there, but there's going to be a lot of people who refute it and say, no, that's not what that verse is saying. So if you go to the next slide, please. So this is what, uh, this is what the author of the book, Shane Pruitt, has to say about this idea. So he says, often we believe or regurgitate the statement, God won't give you more than you can handle. Really what we're saying is that we don't want more than what we believe we can handle. If we're honest, we make plans for ourselves that keep us comfortable, and we want God to bless those plans and stay inside the boundaries. Next slide. Uh, however, God hardly ever operates that way. He almost always gives us more than we can handle on our own so that we'll seek him for help and guidance. So what he's saying is really quite the opposite, is that it's not that God's not going to give us more than handle. Oftentimes, God permits things to come in our lives that we can't handle on our own. Um, if you go to the next slide. Good, it's blank. I wanted to blank so I have your all's attention. Because oftentimes when I see something up there, I always want to read it. And I get distracted. So here in the part in the book, uh, the author shares this story about a really big family. They, got, they end up getting like 25 kids because they adopted all, a lot of them. Maybe it's like 28. It's like 28 kids. Um, and shares a lot of tragic stories that happen with them. One of the older kids dies and stuff. And so I started thinking about it, and I mean, I felt kind of disconnected from it because I don't know these people. I've never met the people. I've never seen them. And so oftentimes when we hear a story about somebody, we're kind of disconnected from it, and we're kind of like, I, I can't relate. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be up on stage. Is there a story from my life or anything in my life that I've gone through that I don't want somebody to tell me, oh, it's okay, God won't give you more than you can handle. 
and so I had to think back, okay, when I was a teenager, and I had to think hard because it's been a, it's not been a minute, it's been a minute, minute since I've been a teenager. Um, I'm like twice some of y'all's age, and I'm like, man, I'm feeling really old right now. Whew, it's scary. You'll be there someday. Don't worry, guys. And then you'll look back and be like, man, this, this is going way too quick. So there are three different instances that I thought of in my life where I was like, you know what? I would not want somebody to tell me that God won't give me more than I can handle because it wouldn't have helped in the situation at all. But what would have helped would have been God's truth. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at these three examples from my life. And then we're going to look at, well, what was God's truth and how did I read that and understand it and believe it and apply it to my life. So my first example, some of these are going to be, these are kind of deep. And these are kind of hard. And it's like, well, welcome to high school, guys. Life gets hard. And some of you have experienced and seen some really hard things already. Um, we just have to look back over the past few weeks. And so the first thing that happened, um, it was actually before I was in high school, before I was a teenager, I had this great aunt. Uh, does anybody ever have a great aunt who's kind of like a grandma? You're like, oh, that's my second or third grandma or whatever. That's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're really close. We had to go have Christmas at their house and stuff. So I had this aunt and... Long story short, right before I got into high school, uh, she committed suicide. And so I'm, I'm not that old. I'm not in high school yet. I was probably 11 or 12. And well, how do my parents go and explain, yeah, she, she committed suicide. I knew she died. But it was like, what, what happens? What do, what do your parents tell you when something like this happens? Do they just tell you, you know what? God's not going to give you more than you can handle, even though you really you're attached to this person, they're, they're really close to them, but they do this. What do they tell you? Oh yeah, you know what? God's not gonna give you more than you can handle, it's okay. That wouldn't have helped in that situation whatsoever. Uh, the second instance that I thought of, this was when I was in high school. This is more of a what if instance. Uh, so back when I was in high school was when the war in Iraq was going on. And my dad ends up being deployed twice. So this is actually his third time going to war. And the hardest part about it was uh, communication was scarce back then. You just think, this is like 17 years ago. And communication isn't what it was today. Oh, yeah, I just pick up my phone. We'll FaceTime. We'll text. We'll do whatever. iPhones weren't even around yet. Strange to think about. They're already on 14. So it's like it, it wasn't around back then. So communication was either by phone call or by email, and email was really, you didn't get much of that. Uh, webcams were just a new thing, so not everybody had one of those. You were really lucky if you actually got to go and, I wouldn't just say FaceTime. It's not FaceTiming to them back then. It's like getting on the webcam and you got to wait for the internet. It's, it wasn't even Skype. Skype wasn't even around yet. This was like AOL where you're sitting there hearing the whole computer going, all, all these weird noises, and you're just like, my computer's broken. No, it's, it's okay. It's connecting to the internet. It'll take forever, but it's, it's okay. But back then, you had to go somewhere special to be able to talk to them if you wanted to see their face. And so my dad's over there. He's at war. And we knew if we didn't hear from him for quite a few days that they were moving. They were going from one camp to another camp. The hard thing about it was he didn't get any kind of warning or anything, so he couldn't tell you, hey, you're not going to hear from me for a few days. And so there would be times where it was like two, three weeks at a time. 
that you just don't hear from them. And while this is going on, you got the news on, and it's talking about, oh, these people here were attacked, and this many soldiers died. Oftentimes, you hear about the U.S. soldiers dying before their families are even told. So you're sitting there, you're watching the news, and it's telling you, oh, these soldiers just died. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I haven't heard from my dad in days. Is my dad okay? And I remember oftentimes what would happen when, how they would tell you if somebody died. There would be a man in uniform that would come to your door. He would be all dressed up in his, in his like class A's and he would come to your door and he would tell you this is what happened. And so to kind of give you a, a, a visual of how this was, we had like this little, this little nook where our computer was and that's where we would check our email and, and, and do everything like that. So I'm sitting in this little nook and there's like this little hallway, this little path to the door and we had this glass in the door so you could see out the front door. And so I'm sitting there checking the email and it's like, yeah, no, no emails from dad or anything. And I see these soldiers coming up to the door. I don't recognize them. And all of a sudden, it's like when your, your palms start getting really sweaty, you lose your breath, and you feel your heart beating really quick. And you're just like, are they going to tell me my dad's dead? And you just sit there and you wonder, in that moment, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? And in those moments, for, for relief's sake, my dad, didn't, he didn't die but his, his group did get hit by, a, by an explosive at one point. He wasn't injured, but other people were. But he came back safe, but some people didn't. But in those moments, I don't want somebody coming in and telling me God's not going to give you more than you can handle because I know I'm not going to be able to handle this. I know that I can't do this on my own, that I can't sit there and be like, well, oh, it's okay because you're strong enough to do this. That's really what we're saying is that you're strong enough to go to, to deal with this instance. One more example. Um, this is when I was later on, I was an adult, had a job. I worked at the prison. It was not a fun job. I don't recommend it. It's not fun at all. Um, while I was training, uh, there was a guy who committed suicide there. And it was really crazy because our job wasn't just to watch people, but it was also to make sure that they don't harm themselves. And so when we get the guy out of his cell and we put him on the gurney and we're running him down the hall, calling the ambulance and the lady's up there on him doing CPR, so she's sitting on top of him doing CPR, running him down the hallway, I'm sitting there and I'm just watching this like, what is going on? Some people, they, they just, let it happen and they're just like, ah, you know what, he was just an inmate. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I'm a, I'm a believer. It, this person isn't just an inmate, they're, they're a person. And then I asked myself after that, what happened in this person's life to where they lost all hope and they said, it is better for me to die than to live. And these were like, these were three instances that I could think of in my life where I had to sit there and I said, what if somebody told me or somebody else, what if somebody went and told this guy's family, it's okay, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, that guy, he certainly didn't think so. So what I want to do is I want to look at some truths here. What do we tell ourselves rather than saying, hey, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. What is, what is the truth? What is in Scripture? What can we see that God says that could actually comfort us 
before we get to a hopeless state where it's like, I've lost all hope and I don't want to live anymore, or that I lose all hope because I'm going through such a hard time. Uh, if you go to the next slide here, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, but he said to me, so Paul, let me give a little bit of preface here. Paul has some type of issue going on. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn is because he doesn't tell us. I'm glad he doesn't tell us because then we'd be like, oh yeah, this just applies to the situation rather than it being like, no, this is truth that applies to many situations. And if we know Paul, Paul has gone through a lot. Not only was uh, Paul beaten, shipwrecked, whipped, thrown in the prison, he also killed believers before he ever became one. So if we think about that, man, that must be on his mind and conscience so much is that he committed this kind of sin. But what does he say that God says to him? So he says, so if you read it this way, but God said to me, my, gracious, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we tell ourselves a lie that, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, oftentimes we're not, we're not sitting there saying, you know, it's okay that I'm weak, that I can't handle this. We're sitting there saying, you know what, I'm strong, I can handle this, I can do it, I'll pick myself up on my bootstraps, I'll get through this, I'll just tough it out. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, look, we can admit our weaknesses. We can admit when things are going wrong. We can admit when things, everything falls apart in life. We can admit when we have struggles, when we have calamities. Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. God is there for you. And he will help you through these. Uh, let's look at the next one. This one's Matthew 11, 12, uh, 11 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A lot of us are weary. A lot of us are burdened. There are things that we've seen that it's like in life, it just, it hurts. And oftentimes we kind of see other people and we're like, you know what, these people aren't believers, but they they seem to be doing okay. But oftentimes that's because people are just relying on time. You'll also hear the lie, time heals all things. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't do anything. It just, it's there because God created it. It doesn't do anything to heal anything. Oftentimes in time, we just forget about stuff. But here, God isn't talking about us just forgetting stuff. He's talking about giving us, here's the key. If you look down at the third line, at the very end of the third line, it says, rest for your souls. God is going to give you rest for your souls. There are things in life that are just going to tear us apart and just gnaw at us and eat at us. But what is God doing? He's going to give you rest for your souls. He's going to be there for you and he's going to comfort you in ways that we don't even understand. If you look at the, uh, let's go to the next verse here. This next passage. This is the last one here, the passage that we're going to look at. So this is Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, before we look at the next portion of that passage, there are a few things here that I want to take note of. When it says the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. He gives a caveat with that. He doesn't just tell you, hey, just don't be anxious. Oftentimes we hear that. It's like when we, when we quote scripture to somebody, we're like, hey, don't fear, don't be anxious. But he also tells us what to do. It's this, you can say, but. But do this. But in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication. Supplication, it's, a, it's also a request, but it's a specific type of request. It's a, it's a begging earnestly and humbly. It's not just, oh yeah, I, I just asked God, but it's an earnest asking of God. It's a, you know, God knows what you're dealing with. God knows what you're struggling with. He knows the hurt and he knows the pain, and it's crying out to him in an earnest manner that, hey, God, only you know what I'm going through. You know what is going on in here, and you understand. And it tells us that he will guard our hearts and minds. And if we look at that next passage, go to the next portion of the passage. This is the end of this passage here. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so what he's saying here is if you want this here, if you want these things, you have to speak truth to yourself. We ask ourselves, okay, so what is true? What is honorable? What is just? What is pure? What is lovely? What's commendable? What are these things that he tells us to think on? And how can I think on these things? Well, honestly, all that's scripture. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the word of God. The word of God fits all of this. And this is what he tells us. Be in the Word of God, and not just, just reading it a little here and there, or on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever else you do church, but to really be in it, to dive in, to see what does this say, because any questions we have in life, they can be found there in Scripture. God's got the answers for it. Don't be afraid to ask Him those questions. So with that, I'm going to, we're going to say one more story. I think you can relate a little bit to this story. And then we'll be dismissed. Um, we're not going to do questions today because it's 12.05. I've got five minutes. Nope, 12.06. i got four minutes real quick. Okay. Um, anybody familiar with the story uh, or the song? Anybody familiar with the song, It Is Well? Okay, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the new one. I'm talking about the old one, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, the one from the 1800s. Okay. <clears throat> Little plug, it is way better than the new one. And I will tell you why. It is way better than the new one. So the guy who wrote this hymn, uh, his name is Horatio Spafford. Uh, he lived in Chicago back in the 1800s. Uh, this guy had five children, and he had four daughters, one son. And in 1871, uh, his son died from scarlet fever. Uh, later on that year was the Great Fire of Chicago. That's where his family lived, so it wiped out almost everything Two years later, he decides, I'm going to take a trip with my family to Europe. Uh, he had work, so he was going to wait. So he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him. And so he's like, I'll meet you guys there later. On the way to Europe, 
their ship collided with another ship, and their ship sank. All four of his daughters died, and his wife lived. She gets to, she gets to Europe. She sends him a telegraph that says, oh, what did it say? I'm trying to remember. It was like a two-word thing, uh, something about being a wreck and being safe, but it was like two words. So it was a really short letter, and they're like, what happened? He understood what happened. He knew that everybody else died. And so the most interesting thing is now he's going to go over to Europe and meet his wife. And all of his children, the rest of his children just died. And so on the way there, he's also taking ship. On the way there, uh, the story goes, this is like he, he ended up having more children and this is what his daughter says of the story, that he wrote the hymn, It Is Well, when he got to the spot where the ships collided and his daughters died. And so when you read the lyrics, I just actually thought about all this this morning, or else I would have put it in the slide, so I'm sorry about that, but I thought this was kind of fitting to, to hear. When we read the lyrics, we understand exactly what he's saying. So the song starts out, it says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Doesn't that make sense all of a sudden? He's on the sea and his daughter's died in the sea and he's talking about when, the, when all the sorrows come in like waves crashing on him. He says, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But he doesn't stop there, he continues with it. And this is the crazy part, is like, you think he would talk more about this tragedy, but he doesn't. He goes on and he says, though Satan should buffet, basically saying, though Satan will try to get me to despair and try to tempt me. He says, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. So he's saying that there's going to be trials still. I've had so many trials. My son has died. My daughters have died. The city has been destroyed. But there is a blessed assurance that he has. And his assurance is that Christ has regarded his, self, his helpless estate and shed his blood for his soul. So what does he do when all these trials and everything are coming? What does he do when his daughters die? He goes and says, it's okay because Christ died for me. Wait, what? Who goes and says that? Everything's falling apart. And he's just like, but Christ died for me. And he continues the next line. Then he says, the, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then the last line in it says, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. When we look at this, what is he doing? What is he depending on? Nowhere in there does he say that, you know, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. All my daughters have died. My son has died. My city's gone. But he acknowledges who God is and what God has done. That's the gospel. Y'all are getting ready for impact. Impact starts tomorrow. Y'all have already done the camp. It's, it's, technically, it's already started. But what, what is the point of impact? It's not just to have a good time or just to hang out with a bunch of kids. It's to share the gospel. And that's what the point is when we go through hard things. It's that we understand, we acknowledge the gospel, 
and we can proclaim the gospel. To any of those who go through hard times or hardships or anything, anything in our life, well, it prepares me to share the gospel. I know people who have seen hard things and terrible things. What do I do? Do I just tell them, hey, it's okay. God, God won't give you more than you, ha- you can handle. No. I tell them, no, this is what God has done for me, and this is what he has done. He has come here to this earth. He's died on the cross. He has taken my sin away, and I bear it no more. And then I can say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And that's what we're going to go out and tell the kids this week, is that here is the gospel. You're struggling with something, I'm not going to just tell you, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, but I'm going to tell you what the gospel is, and I'm going to say, he has come for you, he has died for you, and he has paid for your sin in full. Not part of it, but all of it. With that, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this morning. We thank you for giving us this time to come together to worship you, um, to study your word. Father, I ask that you be with everyone here. I pray that you be with them during this week for impact. Father, I pray that you will keep everybody safe. I pray that the weather would be good. Uh, I pray that you will prepare everyone here, Father, that you will prepare their hearts and their minds to give the gospel. Father, I also pray for those who are going to receive the gospel. I pray that you will prepare their minds and their hearts to receive that. Father, I pray that you will give all the presenters the right things to say and to remember everything to say. Father, I pray that none of them feel too burdened as far as saying the right thing or doing the right thing, but to rely wholly on you and that it's you, Father, who opens the eyes of those who are lost. And Father, I pray that you be with us as we head out from here, and I pray that for today and throughout the rest of this week that we will give glory to you and glory to you alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and you all are dismissed.